Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. As we're talking about these mission and values, this value, we state it this way about prayer. It's the value of bended knees. Bended knees. And it's about infusing prayer in everything that we do. Um, the book of Psalms, it's literally a book of, uh, of prayers and songs. And uh, Psalm 145, it's actually the last psalm that David wrote. Here's how he starts. Listen to this. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. He's just simply saying this. It's all praise. It's all gratitude. It's acknowledgement about how great God is. That's how he starts. And then it's interesting. For like the next 12 verses, all he does is write about who God is. He says things like this. The Lord is great. Your power is amazing. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises. The Lord is faithful in all he does. Then he gets to verse 14 and he writes this. He says this, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Did you get that? David, he knew what it was to fall. He fell away from God so many times, disappointed God, but he also knew this very verse, the Lord upholds all who fall. I mean, God supported him. He didn't let his enemies overtake him. God knew what it meant to be loved by him, even in his mess-ups. I kind of have this thought about prayer and us. When we mess up, when we fail and we fall, we don't think God really wants to hear from us, do we? Have you ever had this thought, I've lost the credentials to be able to talk to God. Like, I I, I really, he, he just doesn't want to hear from me. I've fallen too many times. He then writes this. He says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Not to some, but to all who call on him. To all who call on him in in truth. And I love that little phrase because it's the qualifier. He just says this, be honest. Don't pretend that you're someone that you're not. He knows our weaknesses and he knows our failures. So here's what he wants. He just wants you to talk to him honestly. And be who you are, because he loves you anyways. And so here's what we're going to do. Bended knee. It's really about two things. It's the concept of prayer, right? Sometimes when we pray, I don't pray this way all the time, but there's occasions where I will do this. I will get on my knees, and I will pray. It's just a symbol of, God, I'm here to focus on you. I want a conversation with you. I'm completely focused on, on who you are. But bended knees also means this. It's a sign of humility and submission. This is God, as I pray and I talk to you, I want the life that you want for me. As I bend my knees to you, I'm telling you, as I pray and you direct me and you guide me, I'm ready to follow you. I want your authority and your will in my life. So here's what we're going to do. Sometimes we talk about prayer too much. We don't give you enough room to pray. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to pray with me on bended knees. Um, If you're physically able to do this. If you're not, don't worry about it. Lord knows you're bended in your heart, all right? I'm going to invite you to do this. 
just turn around in your chair, face your chair. You put your elbows there. And if you're able to, I just invite you to get down on your knees. And we're just going to have a moment of pray. Ready? Go for it. Just turn around. I'm going to guide you in this prayer and this, this concept for you. And I, I want to do what David wrote about. And he wrote about just giving God praise and thanks for who he is. So let's do this in our time together. Don't ask him for anything. Just thank him. Just give him praise and just give him thanks. Tell him who he is and how great he is in your life. And be honest. And let him love you. And as you pray, would you do this? Would you pray just loud enough for you to hear yourself? It'll help you stay focused. You don't have to pray for the people around you to hear you. But just pray just loud enough so that you can hear your words to God. Let's pray. Lord, the Christian life is a dynamic relationship with you. Sometimes we make it all about knowledge. But God, it's not. It's about our relationship with you. And knowledge is a part of that, but it's not all of it. And in this conversation, God, we can't hide from you. We can't even fake who we are because we know you know who we are. And yet you've declared your love for us again and again. And so This morning, God, we just give you thanks and praise. And I know that there's some people who've walked in here with some heavy hearts, some difficult things. And we'll get to requests later, God. But for now, we're reminded of your kindness and your generosity that you uphold all those who bend their knees to you. So, God, we submit to following you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you make your way back to your feet? And uh, if you need a little help, no shame, ask a neighbor for some help. (laughs) Use that chair. Let's all stand together. And in just an attitude of worship and prayer, let's sing and worship our God. All right, grab your Bibles. Open up 1 Thessalonians. We've been in this series called Church Reimagined. We're reimagining who we are. We've specifically been talking uh, mission and values, right? Um, we haven't talked about vision at all. Now, the difference between mission, mission is like the overarching, this is kind of what, what we do, but vision is like the next hill that we're going to charge together. Um, next week, I'm going to talk about vision. Next week's going to be a little bit more of a vision cast. Here's where we're going in the next one year, three years, and 10 years. <laughs> As if I know what's going to happen 10 years from now, Right. But at least there's three things we're going to put up on the wall as this is the vision of our church, and uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that. So make sure you're here next week. Also, we, this is kind of our last value. It's our fifth value. We've talked mission and values. You remember what they are, right? We'll give you a little cheat sheet. They're going to come up here on the screen. Ready? Church on the Hill mission, displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. 
And one of the things we're doing that for is this value number one. It's crowded heaven. We also believe in tattered Bibles, rooted family, and tangible hope. You guys got all those? Yeah, you don't. Good thing that we have a YouTube channel and a website where all these messages, if you missed one of these, I would highly encourage you, go back and listen to them. Here's why. These aren't things like, they shouldn't just be placards on the wall in a church. We're asking you not to have these as a value for just the church in general, but would these be your own personal values? You have values, right? Values are those things that when you violate them, it makes you sick to your stomach. You feel like you just did not live up to who God wanted you to be. And so are these five values really your own personal values? And we're going to talk about the last one, the fifth one today, and it's bended knees. We've been talking about this morning. And the tagline is this, it's infusing prayer in everything that we do. This is the new part for us. Raise your hand if you've been a part of this church three years or more. Okay, good, good. So there's a good group in the room here. You know how we used to measure whether we were a praying church or not, right? We would have a prayer gathering. We used to have it once a week, and then we had it once a month, and we always measured the value of prayer by how many people showed up to the prayer gathering. So I would encourage you coerce you, twist your arm, sometimes even straight out manipulate you to show up to a prayer gathering. I, I used to hear this all the time because I felt the same thing. There'd be moments where I'm like, oh God, this is another prayer gathering. And then we would pray and I'd be like, man, that was so good. It was so good for my soul to, to do that and pray and just be with God's people. But you know what's interesting about that? I think it's the wrong measurement for whether we're a praying church or not. I think the right measurement is this. Is prayer actually infused in everything that we do? When we gather here in church together in the worship gathering, is prayer significant? Because you know what prayer is often used for, right? I mean, this is just classic for churches all over the place that they, they pray, but you know what it is? It's a transition, right? It's to get the band off stage and the pastor up here, the host up here. And then when, when I'm done, we pray so the band can come out, right? It's a transition in a service. Isn't that terrible? Uh, it's often how you start a meeting, like, oh, we're going to have a meeting and we're a church together, so we should probably start and end in prayer, right? Oh, we have a community group. Now, I've been a part of a lot of community groups in my 20 years here. Um, can I just say, sometimes prayer is the thing that we tag on to the end because I think we're supposed to do it that way. And it's like 30 seconds of, I know we're supposed to pray. Instead of a significant moment where we're learning how to pray and we're actually listening to God and we're, we're, we're talking to him about what it is that, that he wants for us. Come on, culturally, isn't prayer the thing we do around mealtime? Are there any prayers in the Bible around mealtime? I, mean, I know Jesus broke bread and fish and he's like, hey God, I only got a little bit. We need it for thousands. And he starts praying and breaking bread. In Deuteronomy, it says this, after the meal was eaten, give praise to God. They used to pray after the meal. Maybe after you ate it, you're like, oh, Lord, help me. I don't know, but today it's just like Christians, we just kind of pray this prayer before a mealtime. Maybe it's before you go to bed. Have you ever asked yourself, am I actually praying according to what the scriptures are describing? That's a great question. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look. We've been in 1 Thessalonians this entire time. I'm hoping you're getting super familiar with this book. We're going to talk about, we're going to look in, in the letter of 1 Thessalonians at the three places where Paul writes about prayer. Here's what he does. In chapter 1, he introduces the letter with a prayer. 
And in chapter three, in the very middle, he writes another prayer. And in chapter five, he ends with a prayer. So we're going to look at all of these. I'm going to go through this really quick. And can I just warn you right up front? I mean, I'm not going to deliver a bunch of cute little stories today to make you feel good. There's too much text and I want you to see this. And so I want you to dig in, grab your notes. I want you to write down some, some things in, in your notes and I want you to circle some things and highlight them in your Bible. And um, so, so here we go. Here's how he starts his letter. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse two. He says, we always thank God for all of you. And continually mention you in our prayers. And here's what he remembers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So typical Paul. He starts almost all of his letters to churches with just a prayer. And we just, we're so grateful to God. We're so thankful for, for who God has been and we're thankful for you as a church. Here's why, and it's our number one point here is through prayer, God reminds us of how much he's provided. Hey, when do you pray your most sincere prayers? When you have a need, right? When you and your spouse are fighting. When, when there's not a lot of money left at the end of the month, Right? and there's still bills to pay, all of a sudden we get super spiritual. Or when our kids don't come home when they're supposed to, and we're like, oh, dear God, please, right? We get all spiritual. In the Psalms, you'll see this, most of the prayers, they begin with thanks and gratitude. Here's how we've described it over the years. We want to seek God's face before we seek his hand. You know what it means to seek somebody's face, right? I mean, you look in their eyes and you're like, hey, Good to see you. Like, you're just conversing with them. It's not about, hey, could you give me a hand? No, seeking God's face, it's mentioned three times in the Psalms, and it's about this. It's about knowing who God is. It's about experiencing relationship with him. If I was gonna give you one definition of what the Christian life actually is, it's this. It's living in a dynamic, living in an active relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's not knowing the Bible. Knowing the Bible is a part of having a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if not, then we have an ignorant relationship with Jesus Christ. But knowing the Bible really just equips you to be a Christian or a Pharisee. You with me? This relationship that we have, it's about seeking God's face, relationship, and then we seek his hand, and he invites us to do that. He says again and again, and Jesus told us this, you know, give us today our daily bread. Dear God, help us. He says, bring these things to me and ask me what it is that you need. But here's what we often do. We seek his hand again and again and again, but do we really seek his face? I mean, think about how you pray. I dare you this week. Before, as you pray, to not ask God for anything until the last little bit of prayer. Just tell him how great he is. Be thankful for who he is and what it is that he's done for you. So Paul switches gears. He's not just thankful, but he begins with this gratitude because it's a reminder about how much God's already provided. But turn to chapter three. Chapter three, he switches gears and he says this. Chapter three, verse 11. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what's lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. If you remember uh, the last couple of weeks, as we talked about what was going on in this city of Thessalonica, Paul went there. He was there for at least three weeks, and shortly thereafter, he gets run out of town. 
These people were jealous, and all of a sudden, this riot starts. They actually went to the marketplace to get some thugs, and they create this whole riot in town. Paul and Silas have to escape in the middle of the night under the cover of darkness. And before Paul could really help that church become mature, he's like, listen, you got a lot of the story, but you didn't get all the story. There's some things that you're lacking in your faith, because you know this, right? When, when someone's born again, you know that phrase? Like, you're dead spiritually, and to be born again is to be born spiritually. Well, all that means is when you're born spiritually, you're not born mature, right? You're born an infant in Christ. You're spiritually a baby who has to be taken care of, but also who has to grow up. And so you grow up a little bit. You're like a toddler in Jesus. And you become a little more responsible. And he's like, you can take care of yourself a little bit more, and you become a teenager in Jesus. And then you become this adult in Jesus. And then you become a parent in Jesus. You know what that means? It means you can reproduce yourself in somebody else's life spiritually. You can help them grow up. In the midst of that, Paul's run out of town and he says this, I know we had to leave, but you still had needs in this church and in your life. And we want to supply what is lacking in your faith. And so he prays this prayer. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, which, by the way, who's he praying to? God and Jesus. When you pray, you can pray to God, you can pray to Jesus, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. All three of them hear it. May our God, Father himself, and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. Why? Because there's people in that town who hated Paul, who would rather see him in jail Not only that, but just because Paul could go there and be like, listen, jail or no jail, enemies or no enemies, I'm coming. But Paul's also saying, God, what do you want from me? If you actually read the book of Acts around chapter 16 and 17, Paul's like, I wanted to go to this area and God stopped me. Then he mentions a little bit later, I want to go to this area and the Holy Spirit prevented us from going there. Here's what's really weird. He goes, and then we tried to go here and Satan stopped us. He doesn't explain what that means. But Paul, when he's praying, he's like, I want to be able to come to you, but I need God to clear the way for us. Listen, just because Paul can do it doesn't mean that God wants him to do it. Come on, listen to this. We divide life into two buckets, things that we can handle and things we can't handle. And the things that we can't handle, we don't even pray about those. We're like, God, I can handle this. I got this. What if the thing that we're about to do, even though we can do it, God's like, why are you wasting your time doing that? I don't even want you to do that. Why don't we pray about those things? You can go to the grocery store by yourself. You don't even need God. Right? You got money in your bank account. Your wife has already given you the list of the things that you need. And you can do it. But what if there's a person there whom God wants you to talk to, to help? to encourage, maybe even pay for their groceries. But you're like, no, 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 God, I got this. I can do this on my own. And then we get to the other category of things that we can't handle on our own and we get all spiritual. Like, God, help me. What if there isn't a dichotomy of life of things we can't handle and things we can handle? All of life is, the Christian life is what? It's a dynamic relationship of living in a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. What if even in the things that we can handle, he wants to speak into those Here's my point number two is this. It's through prayer. God makes a way for ministry. We we just spent um, 
time praying on the stage for this team that's headed to Mexico. God, be with them. Keep them safe. But God, you're the one who changes people's lives. So would you, as they go and work, let them work in your power, in your direction, so that lives might be transformed? Next week, um, I'm going to share with you some of the vision of our church. And it's what's going to happen in the next year, hopefully three years, and ten years down the road about life transformation, village transformation, and land transformation. And that's all I'm going to tell you. That's a little teaser for next week. But I'm going to tell you this. There's no way I can do it. There's no way you can do it. There's no way in the next ten years we can actually, with everybody in this room, there's no possible way that we could financially or energy-wise pull off what it is I think that God might want us to do. It is an only God moment. And so we are praying, God, if we, we have to value a bended knee because the things I think that God is calling us to are so far beyond us. And so just a reminder to you, maybe you have a supersized thing in your life that you can't handle. Would you bend your knee to Jesus and infuse prayer in everything that you do so you can say, God, what do you want me to do with this? Here's uh, the third thing, and it comes from chapter 3, the very next verse in verse 12. It says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. I'll say it this way, point number three, through prayer, God helps us mature. One of the stunning parts about this letter, I love this. It's teaching me a lot. It's actually teaching me how to love you guys. And I already do love you. But in here, Paul keeps writing again and again like, hey, you remember how much we love you? Oh my gosh, we love you with crazy love. We love you like a mom loves her kids. We love you like a dad loves his kids. I love you so much. And then he writes to the church, he's like, I want your love to keep growing and overflowing so that you might love more and more and more. What is that? It's helping people grow up to maturity. Again, I think we put people in two buckets. If I could divide those two groups up, there's those that are easy to love. And there's those who aren't easy to love. And the ones that are easy to love, they're nice to us. They like us. They're easy to be around. We converse with them. When we walk up, they smile. And so we love them. And Paul, in this scripture, when he writes about this, he says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. And then here's a, if you want to underline this phrase, this would be so great. And for everyone else. Love this bucket of people. And this bucket of people, don't make an excuse that they don't deserve your love because, well, they're disrespectful. They're just grumpy. They're difficult. I think in prayer, would you pause this week and pray for this group of people? You know them by name. Hopefully you don't live with them. Would you pray for them? And would you invite God to grow you up? Because it's it, what we really do is we like we pray for them. We're like, God, would you, man, God, would you fix them? They are jacked up. I don't know what their parents did to them growing up to mess them up, but man, they're just almost unlovable. I know you love them, God, but I don't. And we pray for them. How about Paul saying, no, 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 I'm praying for you. That in prayer, God might mature you. 
and grow you up to love people who might be a little more difficult to love. So here it is. Three things so far. Through prayer, God reminds us of how much he's provided. Second, he makes a way for ministry, which, which is so great. This means this. Every person in this room whose life has been transformed, you're an answer to somebody else's prayer. The third thing is this, is that it helps us mature. We get to the fourth thing. It's still in uh, chapter 3, verse 13. He says this. May he strengthen your hearts. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Um, little minor question. What's that mean? May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy. I thought we were blameless and holy because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I mean, didn't his death on the cross when we received that paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future? Isn't that the thing that makes us holy and blameless? The answer is yes, absolutely. But when you join God's family, doesn't God want your now character to resemble his holy character? Think about this. Jesus said this in Luke 6.40. He said, a student is not above his teacher. Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Jesus was sinless. He was holy. He was blameless. So the question really becomes, are you and I, are we actually becoming more and more like Jesus? Paul says this, when you pray, I'm praying that God would strengthen you. You know what that is? It's having the desire inside of you to actually desire a holy life. And this is my point number four. Through prayer, God gives us the desire for a holy life. Can, I, can we just be real honest? We don't live a holy life because we don't want it. Right? I mean, we want what we want. You know why? Because we want it. Write that down. I mean, we just want what we want. Even if it's not the thing like God wants for us, we just want it because like we crave it. It's just like we want it. Try to explain. Why do you want chocolate? Because it's good. Because I want it. I mean, some of you are thinking about chocolate right now and you're like, oh. That's called addiction, but that's okay. Um, Why do you want it? Because it's brown. Mm, That's not it. Thank you. I mean, there's something about it that we just crave it. If we're honest, we all crave some things in life that are outside of God's design for us. And so Paul writes this, may he strengthen your hearts, give you courage, give you the desire for holiness so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't cleanse you. It doesn't mean that you're outside of his family. He's actually saying, so that you have a desire to actually live according to God's family values. We're going to pray for that. Now, right after chapter 4, right after chapter 3, verse 4, chapter 4 begins, and he picks this up. Listen to what he says. This is about holiness again. Look at verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That's a kind of important thing right now because you're like, hey, who doesn't want to know God's will for our lives, right? Yes. But we're thinking about like what career we should do, what lottery numbers we should pick and who's going to win the game today. And he's like, no, no, no. This is God's will for you as a follower of Jesus Christ that you should be sanctified. I guess we should probably know what that word means then. It means the the word literally means to be set apart. If this is a group of people 
that are in your neighborhood, your workplace, and you're in it. He's like, I want you to be set apart. That doesn't mean that you're like outside, like, I can't talk to you all anymore because I am sanctified. Try that in your workplace. That'll go over well. You ain't getting a raise. In all these people that you live around, he's like, I want you to stay among these people, but be sanctified, which means this, set apart. It means that your values are different than people who don't know Jesus. One of the most difficult things about the church today in America that is being noted again and again and again is that Christians don't have a different set of values than anybody else. Our values are not to be set by culture. Our values are not to be set by our biological family. You still honor your parents, but it doesn't mean we have to adopt their values. And our values are not about our desire to fit in. And then Paul gives us an example in this next text right here about values that he wants us to have. Look at me real quick. These are not easy to hear because the culture we live in, and these are not easy to hear because of how many times you and I have failed at what I'm about to read. But I want you to hear it. Here's God's will for you, halfway through verse B. Verse 3b, that you should avoid sexual immorality. I just want to sit on that. Because it's right now in your mind and heart, it's being rebuffed. Yeah, but, yeah, but. These are his words, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Because when we violate God's sexual ethic, it is about self-control. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in that, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. It's interesting because sexual immorality is about taking advantage of somebody else. And then he writes this frightening thing. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. When he says rejects God, I don't think he's saying this. Those of you that struggle, and which, by the way, as I look across the room, that's 100% of us. You're like, I don't struggle with that. Okay, but you got other struggles. If you don't know what they are, ask your family. They know. I don't think what he's saying is, man, all of you who struggle, oh, yeah, every time you sin, God, he's just kicking you to the curb until you repent. He doesn't unadopt you. And I really was afraid to read this this morning because some of you, I know, you're going to beat yourselves up to go, I know I'm not a Christian. I know I'm not a Christian because you've repented over this thing so many times. I think what he's referring to is the person that says, I'm a follower of Christ, and listen, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to have my own ethic. Who's Jesus to think that he can tell me what to do? Well, he's the almighty son of God who created the world and died on the cross for your sins. That's who he is. In the Greco-Roman culture of their day, uh, the culture gave actually very few boundaries for men about moral sex. The Greek temples that were in this 
very town would have prostitutes as a part of the religious experience. So, like, what is it about our culture? Listen to me. I'm not going to go down a laundry list of the 50 ways that we violate a sexual ethic. Because the problem with the list is this, is you're offended by the top 10 things, but the top 40, you're like, I struggle with those, so they're not that big a deal. Right? You think some are worse than others. For some, you're like, listen, porn, it's, it's just not that big of a deal, but like, you know what, the whole homosexual agenda, oh, that's it. We think that God looks at um, those differently. I think we should read the text again. Here's what, here's what I'll do this morning, though. I want to define sexual immorality. From the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God consistently gives us a model of sexual morality that's actually a gift and a delight. Here it is. God's direction is that there is one man and one woman who are united in body and spirit for life. That's it. Anything outside of that is actually outside of God's design. It is not his best for us. Yet, look, we've broken these. I mean, Jesus talks about lust, right? If you even look at somebody, it's like you've looked at them lustfully. It's like you've you've committed adultery with them. Wow. I think the point is this, is who can live up to God's holy standard? Nobody. But is that an excuse to say, I'm then going to live however I want? This is why this becomes so important here of prayer. When we pray, Paul is praying for the strength inside you that God might give you the desire to desire what he desires. May God himself, the God of peace. Listen to this. This is chapter 5. Go to chapter 5. We're going to go to the end. I'm running out of time here. May God himself, the God of peace, 523, sanctify you through and through. He's back to this concept of sanctification. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. If you're going to underline something, underline that today. The one who calls you, may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you, he's faithful and he will do it. What does that mean? It doesn't, does it mean that I don't have to put any effort into my own, into God's ethic, me living in a pure way? No, no, no. He's already said, no, set the right standard in your, in your life, live towards that. But it is God's faithfulness who's going to keep coming back to you. He will win you back to him. He will give you the desires. If we bow our knee to him, both in prayer and both in giving him authority in our life, he will strengthen you. He'll be faithful. He will give you the desires of his ethics. One last point here, and I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to go all the way through this, but it's this. Um, through prayer, God turns our anxiety to peace, and I shouldn't skip this because um, anybody here, well, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but uh, there are plenty of us in the room, myself included, who deal with anxiety. Anxiety was the gift of COVID-19 season that just keeps on giving. There's all kinds of different anxieties. Don't have time to go into that. But did you see how God was introduced here? May the God himself, the God of what? 
peace. He's not just the God who created peace between him and I through Christ, right? He's the God who gives us physical peace. The one that we bend our knee to, he's the God of peace. Now, Paul would later write a section of scripture that's way more robust about how, uh, how God is the antidote to anxiety. And I think it's worth looking at. Philippians 4.4. 4. It says this. Take a look on the screen. Don't turn there. I want to stay focused here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. This whole passage is about anxiety. Why does he start with rejoicing? Because it's, again, it's a reminder about we have things to be grateful for. And gratitude and anxiety struggle to coexist. So the more we are grateful, the more it pushes anxiety out. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to make several points on this. If you struggle with anxiety, oh, I would welcome you and invite you to read this over and over again this week. Here it is. The first is that rejoicing pushes back anxiety. And then he says, uh, I want your gentleness to be clear to everybody. Why does he say that? Because in anxiety, we're feeling threatened. And when we feel threatened, we have to control our situation. It's self-preservation. If people are being threatening, now you have to control them. And when we try to control, what goes out the window? Gentleness. We can't be gentle because we have to control. And well, how do you not try to control a situation? The very next phrase, the Lord is near. Oh, so the Christian life is this ongoing dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. So he's with me. He's in control. I am not. So in your anxiety, I want you to imagine that God is with you because he is. He's in control. And in that moment, be gentle because our desire is actually to be forceful. And then he says this, in every situation, not some situations, but in every situation by prayer and petition, Present your request with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. What's the antidote for anxiety? I think it's bended knees. Prayer. And then he says this. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. With anxiety, you can have irrational fear. With bended knee, you can have irrational peace. That's what this verse says. Now, listen, um, I know I've covered way too much today. Forgive me for trying to unpack all of that. Here's what I think our value of prayer is. Through prayer, God reminds us of how much he's provided, number one. Number two, through prayer, God makes a way for ministry. Three, through prayer, God helps us mature. Through prayer, God gives us the desire for a holy life. And five, through prayer, God turns our anxiety into peace. The only last question I want to ask in the next 30 seconds is this. You have the personal value of bended knee. I mean, is prayer infused in everything you do? See, if we're going to succeed as a church together, a family, then my question is, do you value it personally for you? And I would invite you this week to slip to your knees and pray and let it become a part of your habit. Are you married? Is it involved in your marriage and your relationship? you have kids that are still with you? Have you taught them how to pray? By the way, it's not by lecturing, it's by praying. 
with them. When you think about ministry here at this church, your community group, you bend your knee on their behalf. When we as a church say, this is the hill we're going to charge, talking about this next week, the only way we're going to take that hill is that we're people who depend on God with a bended knee. We want prayer to be infused in everything we do, but it has to be a personal value for those people in this church who call this church my church. That's our invitation. Let's pray. Instead of me praying, I want you to just uh, vocalize your prayer to God. Here we go. Whatever it is that is going on in your head and your heart this morning, would you just respond? And I want you to pray out loud, just loud enough for you to hear your voice. And I want you to respond to God about what you've heard. Maybe you need to commit yourself to the value of bended knee. Maybe there's a concept in God's holiness or a way for ministry. But I want us all together right now, we're going to pray out loud. And just respond to what it is that God has laid on your heart. You ready? Let's all pray. Lord, we need you. I pray that those who walked in just carrying something that was heavy, God, that, that you would meet them right now, that you'd give them peace, not anxiety. Lord, that we would bend our knee to you away, that, God, you're in charge. I pray that we'd commit to obedience. God, help us, because we're not as strong as we think we are. But in you, may the strength come. May conviction come. May hope come. Thank you for who you are and how you love us. We stand, if we're followers of Jesus, we stand as your adopted kids, loved by you. And we're grateful for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Stand with us. Let's sing.